yesterday I was thinking actually about this, um, about God as father, whilst my son Seth and I headed out for a father uh, Sunday together. This isn't it. Bizarrely, go, go back to the title slides. Sorry, Fiona, go back. That's not actually him. That's a, that's a stock image. And I, I put it up today and thought, actually, it looks a lot like him. Well, that doesn't look like me, but that looks a lot like him. Anyway, if you, if you go, on to, go on to the next slide, please, Fiona. Thank you. Um, we headed down to Jesmond Dean to have a little walk uh, and a little kick about. Look, look, look how much he's having the best time with his dad, isn't he? <laughs> you know? You can really see it in his face, can't you? You know, deeply overjoyed to be out with me, his dad. Clee just as happy uh, as, as I am to be sharing time with him. Go on to the next one, Fiona, you know. Just, <laughs> he isn't perplexed by me at all, is he? You know, just, he's not trying to distance himself from me at all. Just really in awe of his wonderful dad. They're clearly overflowing with admiration uh, and wonder, I suppose. Not looking fearful in any way at all. Doesn't a picture really paint a thousand words? Um, by the way, I should say, he is only 22 months, and we really did have the best day yesterday, okay? We did really have a really great time, the best time together, lots of smiles and laughter. This isn't a cry for help in any way, okay? <laughs> as soon as I brought food out, particularly, if I'd done another picture, you'd been smiling like en endlessly. So it's just a little picture, pictorial illustration to make a wider point. Um, but nevertheless... As we walked and as we talked and as we played, it just reminded me again of the intimacy God the Father calls us into as followers of the Lord Jesus. He walks with us at our pace. There's a famous theologian who said, our God is a three-mile-an-hour God, which is the average walking pace. He walks with us. He is always there, sometimes unseen, but he's always there, ready to listen and ready to chat. He picks us up when we fall. He protects us, uh, protects us and watches over us. And he enjoys kicking a ball in the wet northeast weather. You know, he does. He does. He eats lunch with us. Just loves doing life with us. No matter where we are, what we're doing. He loves to spend time with us, his children. And as Christians, we are saved from God's judgment on our sin because Jesus has taken all of that and we are saved to be in relationship with God. And that relationship is to be modeled on the relationship between the Father and the Son which is what our passage is about this morning. Though sometimes I think we do look at, look at God a little bit like Seth looked at me in that picture. You know, a little unsure, a little distant, a little, yeah, whatever, you know. And we forget and we don't savor the wonder of the relationship that we've been given. And I wonder if that describes you this morning. Where are you with God right now today? Now this morning we're returning to our series uh, in the New Testament book of John or the Gospel of John which is one of the four accounts we have of the life, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Gospel simply means good news in Greek. Something that I think this world in my opinion is desperately in need of. In fact I think it's crying out for good news and specifically the good news of Jesus Christ. Now last year we made it up to John chapter 14, pausing at the moment where Jesus said these profound words on the screen for us to his disciples. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is just one of the many profound statements that Jesus makes about himself. In fact, the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did, which are recorded for us in the gospel accounts in the New Testament, are so radical, so impressive, so jaw-dropping. And we're going to see that again this morning. 
We're looking today at John chapter 14, 7 to 14, exploring what Jesus said straight after this amazing statement. But before we do that, I think it's helpful for us to understand where are we currently in the events of the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples have just shared a meal together called the Passover meal. Passover was and is a Jewish festival celebrating the exodus or the departure or the freedom of the Israelites and the Jews from slavery in Egypt, which God had won for them. And it was a feast involving a special meal where the food items that were consumed, they had uh, they symbolized aspects of that exodus, of that departure. And it was done every year as a remembrance of what God had done for his people. And you can read more about that in, um, in the Old Testament book of Exodus in chapters 12 and 13. And so Jesus and his disciples, they've come to celebrate this meal like all Jews did. But then just before the meal, Jesus had already shocked the disciples by teaching them what it means to be a leader like him. To be a leader like God, which he does by washing the disciples' dirty feet. The role of a common servant. This is something in that culture a superior rabbi or teacher would never do for their disciples. So the the disciples are already feeling a little bit humbled and then Jesus he then goes on and he predicts his betrayal by one of the disciples and then after that betrayer Judas Iscariot subtly leaves them Jesus goes on to say that he he soon will be leaving them and he also predicts that one of his closest friends and his disciples Simon Peter will disown him and deny him three times that very night so needless to say this is the context of the room as we enter the conversation here in John 14 the room is probably a little on edge The disciples are probably a bit confused, they're a bit worried, they're a bit upset, they're a bit downcast at what Jesus has done and what he's said. And it's in this context that Jesus speaks the words of our passage today. Because John chapters 14 to 17 are the words Jesus says and teaches and prays by way of comfort to his disciples. And and he begins by saying this in John 14, 1 to 6. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but you believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So Jesus begins his comforting dialogue by saying that it's okay, actually, that he's going away. In fact, it's for their benefit that he does. And he reassures them that they will one day see him again, which is where Thomas brilliantly pipes up and says, hang on, Jesus, I've not had my morning coffee. Remind me again, where you going and how do we get there? Basically, is what goes on here. Where you going, how do we get there? Just Just clarify that for me. What Thomas is specifically asking there really is, what, what's the way to be with God the Father? In other words, how do I and how do we get to heaven where the Father is? How do I and how do we get to that place that all people are designed to get to and enjoy? Which of course is where Jesus responds in those profound and awesome words, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And this is where we're going to pick up in our series in John. So we're going to read our passage today. We're going to focus in on verses 7 to 14, but I'll read from verse 5 again because we're entering into Jesus' words mid-flow. So let's read together from John chapter 14, and I'll start at verse 5, reading to verse 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I'm in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. To understand Jesus' words here more clearly, it will be beneficial for us to return to the beginning of John's Gospel. Now, John's Gospel was surprisingly, and maybe not surprisingly, was written by someone called John. Uh, specifically the John who was one of Jesus' disciples, who we learn is called John, the son of Zebedee. And it's debated by scholars today, but the Gospel was quite certainly written between AD 55 and AD 95. Now, John is not only just recording information about the words and the teachings and the actions of Jesus, like a journalist would, I suppose, but he's also constructing an argument to put to the reader, an argument over Jesus' very identity. And John outlines his purpose towards the end of the document in chapter 20, which is on the screen there, where he writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Messiah is, just a, is a Jewish word which simply means God's chosen and appointed king. So John's purpose in writing was for us to know and understand that Jesus is God's son and God's chosen king, and that by believing in him, which means to follow him and give our lives to him, we might find real, true life. Now, John introduces the argument beautifully in his first chapter, and, and much as I can, I've squeezed the verses just onto one slide there. Apologies if the font is a little small. But he introduces his argument beautifully in these first 18 verses. Jesus, or the Word, is introduced. The Word is one of Jesus' titles. And John introduces Jesus as the Word. And then I've highlighted verses 14 and 18 in yellow on the screen, because they give some context and light to what we've read in John chapter 14. So John 1 verses 14 and then verse 18 says, these are the verses in yellow. The word became flesh. Jesus, the son, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. These words outline for us why Jesus came, ultimately to show us the Father, specifically God the Father. <clears throat> but what does it mean that Jesus the Son came to reveal or show us God the Father? Did the F God the Father not reveal himself before Jesus came? Well, God is called Father on occasion in the Old Testament, in the books of Isaiah, in the books of Jeremiah, in the books of Malachi. 
Yet the Old Testament does put a great emphasis on the distance between God and humanity, on the holiness of God, that he is totally without sin and darkness, that he is so other compared to us, that he is so beyond us in terms of his purity and in his goodness. And so when people are in close contact with God, like Moses and Isaiah in the Old Testament, they are only allowed to see a glimpse, a vision of him and his glory. Because God's very glory, his being, his nature, his goodness, his character, his holiness is too much for anything to withstand. Not even humanity who he's created in his image. And that's why we read in John chapter 1, it's highlighted in yellow on the screen, that no one has truly and fully seen God. Glimpses, but not truly and not fully. And so in the Old Testament, there is much a greater emphasis on this aspect of God. Yet when we head to the New Testament, God remains holy. He remains majestic. He remains supreme and awesome in our eyes. He hasn't changed, yet Jesus the Son comes as a man and has a strikingly clear emphasis on God as Father. A Father who desires to be in relationship with you and with me. And Jesus not only declares that he came to reveal God, but that he himself is also God. God made flesh. And the way by which we can know and understand God most clearly today is by looking at Jesus. Jesus in the New Testament is called the image of God. He's called the word of God. And the exact representation of God. Jesus is God the Son in the flesh. God the Son in a human body. And he has come to reveal who God is in a new and in a more tangible way. And to bring us back into relationship with him. He is the chosen one promised in Genesis chapter 3. After evil entered the world through humanity's disobedience. The chosen one who has come to restore us back to God. If we accept him and believe him and follow him. And the way Jesus reveals who God is and provides the way for us to be in relationship with God is ultimately through living a life without sin, devoid of brokenness and darkness and guilt and shame, and then choosing to die on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin, for our brokenness, for our darkness, for our guilt, for our shame. Jesus takes it and the punishment for it and he buries it and then rises from the dead, defeating it, through which you and I might receive the way back to God and a new life if we put our faith and trust in him. And so whoever gives their life to Jesus, trusts in what he's done for them and seeks to follow him, is forgiven, is made right with God, enters God's family as a child of God, and is given the intimate relationship with him that we were all designed to have and to enjoy. And we're going to see more next week. Those who follow Jesus are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within them as a helper through our lives as we live for God the Father, following the example of Jesus the Son in the world. The Bible declares to us this unique vision of who God is. One God as the Trinity, one God who is revealed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a union of three. And as Christians, followers of this one God, we are to live for the Father, enjoying his love, walking with Jesus the Son, and following his example, all within the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a Trinitarian exercise. Through Jesus the Son, we can be invited into the family of God, becoming his children. Jesus' Father becomes our Father. Jesus' Spirit becomes our Spirit. And Jesus' future becomes our future. That is the gospel. That is why it's good news, folks. So what is Jesus declaring in our passage this morning? It's deeply significant. Let me read verses 7 to 9 again. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. 
From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus has come to reveal to us who God is and to make the way for us to be in relationship with God. And so as a reflection for the last 10 minutes or so, I want us to think about what all of this means practically. So here are some points for us to reflect on this morning. Through Jesus, God is revealed in a new and tangible way. As the knowable God that we are to enjoyably know and make known enjoyably. Copyright. Emily said, did you steal that from something? No. Spirit led. Enjoyably known. To enjoyably know, make known enjoyably. And through Jesus, God is revealed in a new tangible way. He is the active communicating God that we are to communicate, act on behalf of, and co-work alongside. Just stare at those truths for a minute, because that is awesome. Awesome. What does it mean that God is knowable? That we are to enjoyably know him and make him known enjoyably. Let me just put verse 7 to 11 back up on the screen for us. Jesus has come to show us God, to make him known, to reveal to us who God is and the way that we can be in relationship with him, that God can be really known. So my first question to all of us this morning is, have you taken Jesus up on his offer? You may have come to church and heard this message for the first time or the 101st time. It doesn't matter. Have you taken Jesus up on his offer? So many people often say, well, I just wish God would come down and sort everything out, that he'd reveal himself and make himself known really clearly. And my answer to that question is that he did. In Jesus Christ, God the Son, he did 2,000 years ago. And he invites you personally and individually to be in relationship with him. The relationship that we were all designed for, if you accept who he is and what he's done for you. That you recognize that Jesus is the savior of the world and that he is God's chosen king. And if you turn your life to him and live for him rather than ourselves, which doesn't get us anywhere. We can be in relationship with God, be forgiven of our sin and live and enjoy God eternally forever. You can know God today and forever if you trust in Jesus. And you can be assured of a place with God forever, never needing to fear sin or condemnation or death ever again. It won't touch you. But part of the issue with knowing someone is that often we want to know them, but on our own terms. If they fit my ideals and my values, if they reach my standards, if they fit into my box, and we do that with God. We may look at who God is, we may look at how Jesus has revealed him to us, and we may look at the written and historical words and events of Scripture and think, well, actually, there's some stuff in here I don't quite like or agree with or understand. Now, the beauty of this is that God is very patient and he is willing to walk with you in your questions and confusions. Shout out to the, s- the sermon last week. Go listen to it from Stuart. It was fantastic. He's willing, God, to walk with you in your questions. He's patient with us in our confusions. But you and I have to understand that it will take humility to accept that our view and version of God may not be the one who has revealed himself through Scripture. He may not be 
the true God, this image that we have in our mind. We have to be open to what he says, how he has revealed himself, and be humble to accept that there may be things we don't fully understand this side of eternity. We will need the eyes of faith. Are you willing to explore who Jesus really is? Are you open to who the Bible says God is and how he's ultimately revealed himself in his son? Are you willing to accept who Jesus is? Are you willing to not only accept who he is, but also trust him with your life by turning to him and living for him rather than ourselves? Just switch on the news for five minutes and you'll see that's not going very well for us as a human race. Jesus will not force his way into your life. He loves you and respects you too much for that. He will knock on the door, but you have to actively, purposely, and intentionally open it and invite him in. Let him in and give him your life. Will you accept Jesus' offer of a relationship with God today? Because as well as forgiving us of all our sin and brokenness, he will give you the full life we all want. We were all designed for the true contentment, true security, acceptance, significance, a life with purpose and meaning that we were all designed to know and enjoy and found in our creator God. Will you give your life to Jesus and become a friend of God today? Please come and speak with me or one of the leaders here or, or someone here from Regent if you'd like to chat about that and explore it further. Do not leave this place with today without considering what Jesus is offering you individually today. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus today, how is your relationship going at the moment? How is that enjoyably knowing going? Does Jesus feel like a stranger to you right now? Do you recognize him in your life? Has your relationship grown cold and grown distant? Is Jesus outside the door of your life at the moment and you've got the music or the TV up too loud to hear him? Other things clouding your mind and my mind and our heart and my time. Other priorities. Are you too busy with everything else? They may be good things, they may be bad things to give Jesus the time of day. I'll ask a different question. Are you in fear of letting him in because you're worried what he might say to you? Or what he might think of you? That he'll see what you're really like and want to leave. And if that's your fear this morning, if that's your worry, let me quell that fear immediately. He just wants to be with you. He loves you. You individually and personally. And his presence in your life, yes, it will change you, but it will lift you and it will free you to be the person God has designed you to be. But we have to let him in. We have to spend time with him and be vulnerable with him and be prepared to change. But change for the better, though sometimes painful. Change is painful. Like blemished gold being purified, it may hurt, but it will be worth it when you're shining all the brighter for the Lord Jesus Christ. But to do this, we must give time to getting to know him. The strongest or deepest relationships we have in our lives are with those we speak to the most, that we give time to, and where, where we are prepared to be vulnerable. To be ourselves, warts and all. The beauty of Jesus is that he wants to spend the time with you, to come and sit with you in the darkness and the gloom of your life and of my life, but through that, remove that darkness and remove that brokenness and remove that sin. And he will do that if we let him.
Just like Stuart said last week to us, it has to be a continual process through our lives as followers of Christ, a continual daily process of hearing the knocking and inviting him in day after day, being open to his voice throughout the day, no matter the activity or the task or the location. Be open to his voice. Rather than perhaps what we sometimes do, which is squeezing him, squeezing him in sometimes where we can. Perhaps we need to reflect once again personally on giving him intentional time through engaging with the Bible. That might be reading it or listening to it. Through talking with him in prayer throughout the day, restructuring our day, not around, around him and not around myself. Maybe we need to see our lives a little differently. Not as little chunks where this bit is for God and the rest is for me. Not just focusing all of our spiritual time into a quiet or devotional 10 minutes in the morning or a lunch break or in the evening, wherever you find the time. Now, those are vitally important, and please do that. But realize as well, the whole of our life is designed for us to know God and make him known enjoyably. Romans 12. One says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's an all-in type of life. We need to think about entering each day with that conscious in our minds that what I do and where I go, who I chat to on the phone or by email or on Zoom or in a lecture, this time at home with my child, this meal, this shopping trip, this date, this time by myself, this leisure opportunity, this lunch break, whatever it is and wherever it is, it is an opportunity for us to enjoyably know God and or make him known enjoyably. As Stuart said to us last week again, Jesus is interested in every aspect of our lives, walking through it with us, even the mundane and even the ordinary. Could you imagine if Jesus just had a quiet time in the morning and just didn't do that, did he? He lived in the power of the Spirit. He walked in relationship with his Father, and that is the relationship we're to model. We are to reflect the same intimacy that Jesus has with the Father in our relationship with the Father. Could you and I say, it's a big question, could you and I say that our relationship with the Father is as intimate as Jesus? Because amazingly, that is what we're called to. If you're cold this morning, spiritually, not temperature, <laughs> it's quite a nice temperature in here. If you're cold this morning spiritually, just stop. And be honest with God and simply pray, Lord, light the flame in me again. That's an okay prayer to pray. In fact, I think that's a daily prayer we should pray. Reignite my faith, Lord. Refresh and fill me again with the joy of your salvation, the joy of your presence, the joy of your spirit. Pray that day by day until the day you see him. A continual process of opening the door and letting him in. Jesus has revealed God so that we may enjoyably know him and make him known enjoyably. And then finally, as I come to finish, through Jesus, God is revealed in a new, tangible way as the active, communicating God that we are to communicate, act on behalf of, and co-work alongside. Let me just repeat again Jesus' words in John 14 that we've already read this morning. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus shows us clearly, not only that God can be known, but also that he's active. And as his followers, our job is to know him and make him known through communicating him, acting as his, as his ambassadors, acting on his behalf, and working alongside him in the world. Did you notice how astounding Jesus' words here? Like mind-bogglingly astounding. He is saying that those who follow him today, they will do the works of the Father. Joining Jesus in the work. So not only do we enjoy the intimacy of God, but we enjoy working with him and alongside him. Look at the phrases Jesus uses. He and the Father are one. The words that he speaks are the Father's words. The works that Jesus does are the Father working. And if we're in Christ, this is true of us. Now some clarification is needed. Now firstly, the works Jesus is speaking of here, they do not just mean the miraculous works, which he did. The followers of Christ are given those gifts. I mean, read passages like 1 Corinthians 12, and we can see that. But the works of Jesus would also include his non-miraculous deeds, uh, the words that he spoke, his acts of kindness and mercy which he performed, the demonstrations of service and love that he showed. It would include his teaching that he taught, discipling others in the teaching, whether one-to-one or to many, simply sharing the gospel with someone. When Jesus is speaking of works here, he's not simply speaking of just the miraculous but the positively ordinary as well. From raising the dead to giving a glass of water to someone in need, to preaching before thousands, to sharing the gospel with a colleague over a coffee. Works here would cover those who teach up the front to someone answering a question about God at a cafe. In the works of Jesus, actions as well as words are included. And words may be, for some of us, our most important works. The words, for some of us, may be our most important works. No matter how small or insignificant or infinitesimal something may seem to us, whether it be a thought or a word or an action done in and for the glory of God, God sees it and he's delighted by it. No matter the scope or the scale, when we use the gifts he's given us to serve him and the church and the world, he is delighted as a father to a child. And in thinking and in acting or in speaking, if done for the glory of God, we are engaging in the work of God. Look at these verses up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 6. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are God's co-workers. Our job or role in this world as followers of Christ, as the church, is to in a sense, continue the work Jesus began of representing God and revealing who he is by pointing others to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and the way to God. This is the church's mission, and no matter who we are, our age and stage of life, we can be involved, and we should be involved. We can participate, and we should participate. What does Jesus say in our passage? If we ask him for help in fulfilling this mission and in bringing glory to God, as we read in verse 13, And Jesus says, he will do it. If we call on him in prayer, he will act. Now, this isn't just a magic lamp. I pray in the name of Jesus for a Ferrari Enzo. You know, it's not that. I've not prayed that prayer, just to clarify. It's not that. It's not a magic lamp. 
But this is an expression of the authority of the Son, of Jesus, that if we ask God for things in accordance with his character, his will, and his ways, he will answer us, and he will give. That's incredible. Our prayers mysteriously can have impact on this world in the events and lives of those we know, and even those we don't know. So my encouragement to us is don't put a limit on your prayers. Pray and pray believing that God can answer and is able to deliver on requests, if in accordance with his character, his will, and his ways. Trust him with your small prayers and pray massive ones. And don't be afraid to do that. Then look at Jesus' words in verse 12. That those who believe in Jesus and follow him will do the works of God and do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. And that's the key statement there. They will do even greater than these because I am going to the Father. What does he mean by this? Does this mean that the works we as followers of Christ will be more spectacular or more in quantity? What Jesus is saying here, that these greater works that we will do as the church will be greater for a couple of reasons. Firstly, they will be greater because we are not Jesus. It is a tremendous thing that the incarnate Son did the works of the Father, but he is one with the Father. What's greater is that fallen humanity, you and me, will continue to do the works of the Father. Not greater in comparison of our works to Jesus' works, but greater in the sense that God does something even greater to his works through us. And then think about the early church. They spread the message of the gospel. They continued what Jesus had began. Jesus never even left Palestine. But through the early church, the gospel spread across the Roman Empire and the Greek-speaking world by the end of the first century. Through his church today, the gospel has spread across the globe. So in this way, too, we could see why Jesus would say that the works of his church would be greater. But how has this happened? How has God the Father done his works with the church? How has the church continued to spread through the message of his Son across the world? How has this been possible? It's possible because as Jesus says in our passage, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. It's possible because God the Son, Jesus Christ, God made flesh, returned to heaven, returned to the Father, for what reason? Well, Andy's going to tell us more about it next week, but here's a little sneak preview of next week's passage. This is what Jesus says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate, a helper to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That's why it's better. Following the Son's resurrection and return to heaven, the Father and the Son sent another helper, the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, as we shall look at next week, then that will enable us to live in the friendship and in the relationship with God and to do the works that reveal Him. That's why the work is greater. That's why the message of the gospel will not be defeated, but continue to spread throughout this world. Because God's Spirit dwells within His people. It dwells within His church. And so we as the church of Christ, we can do all the works God has given to us in the prayerful power of the Holy Spirit, seeking all things in the name of Jesus the Son for the glory of the Father. That is our task. Joining in with the Trinity. So through Jesus, God has been revealed in a new tangible way as the knowable God that we are to know enjoyably or enjoyably know and make known enjoyable and then he is the act of communicating God that we are to communicate act on behalf of and co-work alongside through belief in Christ the son following his example God the father equips us for these tasks 
and works by giving us the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit, which we will look at more deeply next week. But as we finish, and I'm going to invite the band up now to lead us in some final worship together. Perhaps let's just close our eyes and reflect on what we've listened to and thought about this morning. Perhaps close your eyes if you find that helpful. My first question is to you, do you really know Jesus? Have you really and personally given your life to him? And are you seeking to follow him in your life? And if not, why not? What is holding you back? What are you in fear of? What else are you living for? Is it bringing you true acceptance and security and significance? Is it giving you that satisfaction and that contentment? Or do you feel that there's something more? And if you are in Christ today, how is your relationship with him right now? Would you describe it as intimate and life-giving? Would you describe it as could be better or non-existent? Sunday is when I give time to him, but the week is my own. Can I ask you to take a fresh look again at what it means to follow Christ? It's an all-in life, or it should be. And then also, if you're in Christ today, how is your work for him? Are you actively seeking to communicate him through your words and through your actions? Do you pray for opportunities to share him through any and every aspect of your being? Are you looking for ways you can serve? That could be your neighbors, that could be your local community, that could be your friends and family, that could be church-related ministry. Are you actively looking at where and how you can serve? Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these through the Spirit of God living in them. Don't you want to see that more in your life? There's no exclusivity here. Whoever believes in Jesus has a part to play. We are one church, body, but many parts. And it's not all up the front. That is one small aspect of a much wider operation of living out the kingdom of God and extending it through the power of the Spirit. Are you looking and seeking where you could be involved in that? And this isn't, this is for everyone. It's not age specific. This is for everyone. Could you be involved in aspects of regent life? Children or youth work? Cleaning and maintenance work? Fundraising? Prayer? Helping at the fun day? Meeting, a, meeting someone for a coffee? Involved in a church plant? There's a wealth of opportunity. We've heard about it this morning already. Is God asking you to step out in faith to reach the lost, to reach the unreached people? Short or long term to take a gap year? Or six months or a week in the summer for mission? And younger folks, I say this to you as well. Don't shy away because you're young. Come and speak with me or one of the ministry leaders or elders. This is just as much for you as it is for those who aren't in school anymore. And older ones... Um, I'm, I'm classing older ones as those not in school. You two have so much to offer. We are all a family on Jesus' mission. And we can all be involved in some way, and we should be. The beauty of the church is that we are a multi-generational family united in one person, Jesus Christ, in one mission, to know him and make him known in the world. That's it. Ultimately, as Christians, that is all we are here for. And our week should be guided by that mission and that purpose, wherever we are and whatever we're doing, through the lens of knowing Jesus more and making Jesus known more. Asking ourselves, how can what I'm doing today, this afternoon, this hour, these next 10 minutes, how can I know God more? 
through this time and experience and make him known to others around me through this time and experience. What a wonderful daily prayer that would be. As we reflect and as we respond, let's sing together.